Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. As uh, Mikhail just prayed, my name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. And, and you know we're in a fall summer uh, sermon series, not summer, but fall sermon series titled Encountering Jesus. Uh, we've been looking uh, at different encounters uh, that Jesus had with various people in the four Gospels of the New Testament. But if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Evan preached on Mark uh, chapter 2 and, and these the story there where uh, the four friends lower their paralyzed friend uh, through a, a roof to encounter Jesus. And this week, uh, we're going to look at the chapter right after Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And uh, we're going to see uh, the story of a man who has no friends. In fact, this man is isolated and he's in bondage. He's hopeless. And Jesus comes to him. It's an appropriate sermon after Halloween, for which uh, I promise I did not plan, because it's a tale of terror. As the great reformer Martin Luther wrote in his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We live in a world with devils filled. And this man who encounters Jesus in Mark chapter 5 is a man, is a man with devils filled, and he is undone. But he's about to encounter Jesus, and Jesus is going to showcase his power over darkness and sin in order to make this man whole. And so if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to give attention to God's Word in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. This is God's Word to us this morning. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat... Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, we do ask that you would break through your voice, Jesus. But the Spirit of the living God would break through that we might hear and our hearts might receive your word, that we might be 
changed and transformed, that you would heal us, you would restore and renew us and make us whole this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, a few weeks ago, I was walking into Bodega, a downtown Durham food market that's just a few blocks from here to grab a to-go lunch. And as I was walking in, there was a man yelling and screaming and cussing at the two employees behind the counter. And then I saw this man take his wired grocery basket, throw it on the ground, and continue to scream and yell as he stormed out of Bodega. And I tell you this story not to suggest that this man was demon-possessed, but I share this story to confess to you that the first question that ran through my mind was, what's wrong with that guy? Which, if you think about it, is a question of critique and judgment. And it allows a person to feel distanced, different, and other than the person they're observing. Later that day, by God's grace, uh, I, I would come around to ask a different question. I wonder what happened to that man. Which, if you think about this question, it's one of curiosity around what led to this man being that way. It enables compassion, and it gives a person eyes to really see someone and know someone. Because here's the truth about that man at Bodega a few weeks ago. He didn't just end up that way. There were forces at work in his life to led, that led him to who he was in that moment. And that is true for every single person. No one becomes the human being that they are in a vacuum. There are forces at work upon people, around people, and through people. Families, past experiences and relationships, structures and systems of society. And because we live in a broken world, many of these forces have caused traumas wounds, suffering that have led to a lack of human flourishing. And what we see in Mark chapter 5 is a man living in a cemetery, isolated, languishing in bondage, hopeless. And here's what we know. This man didn't just end up living there in this state. Something happened to him. And the gospel writer doesn't tell us what. But we do know that the forces of evil got a hold of him. That much is clear. And evil's goal is and has always been to undo what God created in the beginning. Humanity's wholeness and flourishing in a good and right world. And so when we look at our city and we look at the world and we see increasing violence, oppression, greed, hatred, divisions... Let's not be too quick to chalk it up to just living in a material world. There are forces of evil and principalities of darkness warring against us. Right before our passage in Mark chapter 4, Jesus dis displays his power and his lordship over the storm by speaking peace to the forces of nature, and he calms the storm. Now in Mark chapter 5, Jesus showcases his power and his lordship over the demoniac by speaking peace to the forces of darkness and sin in order to bring wholeness. Verse three of the hymn, A Mighty Fortress of Our God says this, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. So we're going to look this morning at Jesus' power. Look with me in verse 1. 
Jesus crosses the sea and goes into this Gentile country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus steps out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And this man is named Legion because there isn't just one unclean spirit, but many. Verse 9, he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Right? Legion was the largest unit in the Roman army. A full strength uh, legion could be 6,000 soldiers. And so when this man says, my name is Legion, for we are many, you can almost envision some M. Night Shyamalan or Jordan Peele horror movie. My name is Legion. It was a boast of war from the evil one against the kingdom of God. Verses two to three tells us that this man lived among the tombs, which was not a place of human flourishing, but the place of human death. Verses three to four, he's out of control. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He, he, he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched these chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Right, this man was free to roam, but was trapped. He could be anywhere he wanted, but something locked him down. Verse five tells us night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. He was so corrupted and dehumanized by the evil one that he spent his night wandering around the graveyard, crying out and injuring himself. I bet if you're honest, it doesn't take too much imagination to relate to this man. Have you ever felt like everyone had given up on you? That, that you're all alone and that life is out of control, that even death might be your only friend. David Brooks, in his recent book, How to Know a Person, gives current statistics. He, he states that 54% of Americans now say that no one knows them well. Four times more people than the last census feel like they have no close friends. Three times more people have no romantic partner that there's been a 50% increase in people who say they're in the bottom quadrant of happiness. The CDC reported that 30% of men and women between the ages of 18 and 24 have considered suicide in the last five months. So I'm guessing a good number of you can relate to this man's feeling of isolation, loneliness, and despair. Can you relate to this man's feeling of being trapped out in the open? I'm not talking about physical chains. I'm talking about habits, your lusts, your bitterness and resentment, the problems that you're facing, perhaps a relationship with a person, any of which can make you feel locked down. One of my favorite all-time TV shows is The Wire about inner city Baltimore. And there's a character named Waylon who makes kind of appearances every now and then. And uh, he's played, played by musician Steve Earle. And He's a recovering addict, and he stands up in season one in an AA meeting, and this is what Waylon says. He says, I've been clean 24 hours now, and I'm still certain that my disease wants me dead. I'm in here talking about how strong I feel, but my disease is out there in the parking lot doing push-ups, on steroids, waiting to kick me up and down the street, scars on my hands, my feet, two bouts of intercarditis, hepatitis C and whatnot, kicking down walls, busting out windows in my liver. I've lost a good wife, a bad girlfriend, and the respect of anyone who tried to loan me money or do me a favor. And what I like about Waylon is how he personifies his addiction. It's a force with an intention to destroy 
Destruction is the goal of the forces of darkness and sin. And, and so listen, church, evil and sin are not something we, we try to manage. It has to be defeated, which is why Jesus came. There is no problem that Jesus can't fix. There is no sickness he cannot heal. There is no world in which Jesus doesn't rule with all authority and power. Jesus has the power to subdue the forces that are at work upon us, the pain inside of us, and the odds seemingly stacked against us. And Legion knows this power. Verse 6 tells us that this man immediately fell down before Jesus. James 2.19 tells us that even the demons believe in God and tremble. So we have to ask ourselves, do we really believe in the power of Jesus? Or do the demons believe more than we do? We come here on a Sunday morning in the presence of a mighty God. Maybe we close an eye or two, and maybe get crazy, raise a hand, perhaps bow our heads. All the while demons fall on the ground in the presence of Christ. You notice the power of Christ at work on and in this man, verse 15. They came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man sitting there clothed and in his right mind. I love this verse. This is such a beautiful picture of the power of Christ unto salvation. Jesus made this man normal again. Jesus made him whole that's what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to make you whole. Don't miss this. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, Legion, you're forgiven. Right? Jesus definitely came to forgive sins. We saw that last week in Mark chapter 2. But the good news of our salvation doesn't stop there. Jesus comes to make us whole, clothed, and in our right minds. Jesus came for all of us, mind, body, and soul, in life and in death which is why we as Christians care about the whole person. Yes, we preach the forgiveness of sins in Christ, and we desire to see people clothed and in their right minds. We're concerned about the forces at work upon people, around people, and through people. We seek to understand people's stories and families. We engage structures and systems. We care about mental and emotional health. We care about shootings that happen in main bowling alleys. We care about war in Israel and Palestine and Ukraine and Russia. We care about clean water and food deserts. We care about philosophy and politics, economics and education, farming and art, and we even care about rest and parties. Not because they are the answers, but because they are ways to participate in the renewal of all things for the whole person. For this is why Jesus came. Legion asks for Jesus to send them into the pigs. And another great verse is verse 13. Jesus gave them permission. Okay, I give you permission. Because there is no power at work on you or around you that Jesus can't subdue. And so he casts Legion into the pigs, and the pigs run into the sea and die. And, and the herdsmen have a lot of feelings about this. Our passage now then turns to Jesus encountering these pig farmers and the people in the city. Verse 17 says that they beg Jesus to depart from their city. Now, for some reason, it's been hard for you to imagine identifying with the demon-possessed man. I'll go ahead and give you a heads up. I'm about to step on some toes as I talk about identifying with these pig farmers and townspeople. Because they are angry 
and afraid of Jesus. They're angry because these 2,000 pigs, it was a lot of money. It was their livelihood. And these pigs were of more value to them than this man. Catch this, as long as this man kept to himself and he lived over there in the graveyard, they were fine. And they could keep their pigs. They had no curiosity about this man's welfare and healing. It was better for them if that, that man just kept his distance and stayed over there. But Jesus cares more about people than he does bank accounts. Dale Bruner says it this way, we're supposed to ask whether the herdsmen valued property more than persons, economics more than human beings, their pigs more than the rehabilitation of townspeople. Jesus may have temporarily wiped out their herd, but he has permanently restored a man. To people in the grip of an economic demonism, Christian mission will at first appear unhelpful. Mammonized personalities will not be able to see what happens to people. All they will be able to see is what happens to their business, their bottom line, and their pigs. What happens in this town is an economic catastrophe for the sake of one person. The point is clear. Jesus came for people, and he came to make people whole, and this will be costly. So are people worth it to you? Worth your time? worth your money? Do you see that at the heart of God's kingdom is a renewal of the whole person, and this mission is costly? It cost Jesus his very life, and through his death and resurrection, humanity is made whole. The pig farmers and the townspeople were not only angry at Jesus, verse 15 tells us that they were afraid. And here's why they are afraid. Because if Jesus can do this to legion, what might he do to them? What might he change about their lives in order to make them whole? And they don't want this power at work on them, so they ask Jesus to leave. Think about that for a moment. Are there places in your life that you would rather Jesus leave you alone than make you whole? Maybe it's your sexuality, your addiction, your control, your money, your job, your image, your schedule? This is a very important question because when Jesus comes for you, he comes for all of you. He wants to make you whole in mind, body, and soul. In verse 18, Jesus is getting ready to leave and the man who had been demon-possessed begs him that he might go with him, but Jesus did not permit him. This is striking and important. I mean, Legion was the first Gentile disciple in Mark's gospel. Jesus could have easily loaded him up in his boat and made this man an incredible overseas missionary. But Jesus says, no, no, stay home. And go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now, some of you, and I pray more and more from our church, will be overseas missionaries. But every single one of us, Jesus sends out into our home to declare what he has done for us and how he has had mercy on us. He sends us into our neighborhoods and into our classes, to our jobs and our work, or, or the workplaces, our recreations, and all the places he has put us. He has called us to share with all people what he has done for us. Pastor H.B. Charles, he calls this, that's him testimony. And he tells the story of a sailor standing on the side of a ship 
next to privates in the army and the commanding officer is addressing them and the sailor breaks rank and he starts shouting, that's him, that's him. And the commanding officer is like, what are you doing breaking rank and what are you talking about? Who's, who's him? And the sailor said, I was, I was sailing five years ago and my boat capsized and I was swimming for my very life and I almost died. And that man came by in his boat and he pulled me to safety. And he gave me water to drink and food to eat. And he gave me a job to do. And I asked him, what could I ever do to repay him? And he said, whenever you see my boat and my flag raised, tell people that's him. What's your that's him testimony? When Jesus' power showed up in your life and saved you. Maybe you were scraping by financially and you were going into more debt and God provided you a job at just the right time. That's him. Maybe you were headed toward a divorce and God saved your marriage. That's him. Or maybe you've gone through a heart-wrenching divorce and God's provided friends and community who are loving you deeply. That's him. Maybe you were stuck in an addiction and God is leading you on the road uh, to recovery. That's him. Maybe your temper has changed and your anger is not the same as it used to be. That's him. Maybe you were really scared to go to that new school or, or enter that new grade or transition into that new city. You were worried about making friends and now you look back and God has provided you great friendships. That's him. And perhaps you're sitting there thinking, my life's been pretty uneventful. I grew up in a Christian home and I've known Jesus most of my life and I really haven't had a lot of tragedy. Well, let me tell you, that's him. Maybe you identify more with this man at the beginning of our passage than the end. You haven't been healed and you feel trapped. And maybe you hear a voice of common condemnation where you ask yourself often, what's wrong with me? And God is telling you this morning, there's nothing wrong with you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, but there are forces of darkness and sin at work in this world that have caused things to happen to you. And here is our hope, Jesus is Lord. And he holds all power. And he has defeated evil and sin through his life, death, and resurrection. And Jesus is at work making us whole. Nobody here has arrived. We are all works in progress. But one day, someday, when heaven and earth are made one, we will be made completely whole. And until that day, he calls us here and now to share all the ways it's him. So that through us, others might encounter Jesus and be made whole. Let's pray. Well, God, I do pray that you would break through and transform us, heal us, renew us, make us whole, clothed and in our right minds by your power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.